Good day. Welcome to the third presentation in the Canadian Anti-Semitism Education Foundation series, Palestinian Arab Intransigence and Anti-Semitism. I'm Andrea Spindle, Executive Director, and today our special guest, Avi Abelo, will speak on the subject of growing anti-Semitism, which continues unabated because of internal Israeli issues. Given his work and where he lives, I expect we will hear about a lot more than intransigence as terror has risen in Israel, particularly in Judea and Samaria. Our thoughts today go out to the families and friends of those Israelis recently murdered for the mere fact of being Jewish, of being Israeli, of seeking to live peacefully in the heartland of Israel, in the ancient and historic homeland of the Jewish people. But terrorism hasn't been confined to areas deemed settlements or disputed territories. Attacks have also taken place in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, and rockets from Gaza hit and killed a man in Rehovot. Since January this year, 28 Israelis have been murdered by terrorists, and both the Palestinian Authority and the terror regime of Hamas know no boundaries as they seek to utterly destroy Israel and eradicate the Jewish people and their history in Israel. This is aided and abetted by those who constantly try to wipe out historical facts and create a false narrative of the land being Palestinian that the Western media buys into lies, that academia ignores evidence, and that political cultures in the West are repeating anti-Semitic libels that led in the past to pogroms and attacks of Farood and a Holocaust is unbelievable, but it is happening. Avi Abelo is one of the people who has steadfastly disclosed the truth, challenged conventional media, liars and fakers, and even calls out those Jews who keep their eyes closed and their minds focused on Palestinian Arab rights, but not Jewish rights. Before I formally introduce Avi, I want to remind our audience that this webinar is being recorded and the video will be sent to everyone on our list. It will also be posted on our YouTube channel. If you have a question, please put it in the Q&A box. If you write in the chat, please be respectful with your comments and do tell us where you are. Remember that CAF is a charitable organization and your donations, whatever size, are needed and appreciated. Help CAF to develop educational resources, research anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism in education, advocate to governments at all levels, stand strong with Israel and promote Zionism and Jewish pride, and continue to offer experts in regular webinars. American listeners can also donate. Just go to our website and click on the donation button. You'll find instructions there on how to donate, whether in Canada or the US. Last but not least, thanks to our many co-sponsors, including the Pulse of Israel and 12 Tribe Films Foundation. Please watch our closing slide where we list all 15 sponsors. Okay, now I'd like to introduce Avi. He's the host of the Pulse of Israel daily video podcast and the CEO of 12 Tribe Films Foundation, which manages IsraelUnwired.com. He originally made Aliyah with his family at the age of 16. He has a BA from Baruch University and an MA from Columbia University. After working as a change management consultant for Accenture in New York City and opening up their Israel office in Tel Aviv, Avi produced the acclaimed movie, Home Game, about Gush Katif. Due to the success of Home Game worldwide, Avi made a career change to dedicate his time to using media, videos, and social media to promote the politically incorrect truth about Israel, the Jewish people, and the freedom-loving world. Avi met and married his wife in New York City, after which they returned to Israel in 2002. At that time, they had their first son, and now they have four boys, ages 14, 17, 19, and 22. Avi and family live in Efrat, and that is where he is speaking to us from today. Welcome, Avi. Shalom, shalom, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Anita. Thank you, David. Thank you to all the co-spots of the EAN for all of the wonderful and important work you guys do at CAEF. And I just want to thank you in addition for coming on board, coming on board as co-sponsors for the very uh, important conference that we held in Jerusalem back in May, unmasking uh, the anti-Semitism, which is really what is behind the whole Palestinian 
national movement. So I'm very, very, we at the 12 Tribe Films Foundation are very appreciative of uh, of your co-sponsorship with, with our event as well. So thank you. Um, let me start by saying this, and this is something that it's something simple, but it's something that I believe every Jew must hear and be reminded of as often as possible. We are literally the most blessed generation of Jews, probably since King David's time, in terms of the, the freedom that the Jewish people have today, the fact that we're sovereign in our ancestral homeland, that we have an army to defend ourselves after thousands of years of exile and persecution, and exile and persecution always at the whims of whatever host countries we're living in. Finally, we are home. And it's something that I don't believe enough Jews today, and even Jews in Israel, truly internalize and appreciate and, 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 and act out upon that appreciation and gratitude, even with whatever insanity and bad stuff still is going on. We're still so, so our situation is so much better than any of Jews for thousands of years. Let me start by telling a little anecdotal story of my grandfather. David Hollinger, who grew up in uh, New York City, I was blessed to to know to to grow up near him when I grew up in New York. Um, I was always astute politically and very active, even as a teenager, vo voicing uh, my concerns, my complaints, writing letters, etc. When I saw um, uh, misreporting about Israel in the news, and uh, I guess my grandfather also uh, he had this bug in him that any time something would anger him about what the Israeli government would do to us Jews, Judea and Samaria, destroy communities, not build the Oslo peace process that was just about bringing terror and war and giving guns to our enemies and not doing anything about peace. He would always come to me like really, really enraged, like, Abi, why is the government doing this? Why is the prime minister doing this? Right. He'd oh, and, and it, th th this would happen all the time. Right. Um, it would mostly happen on the phone because he was living in New York. I was already living in Israel with my when my parents brought us when I was 16 or when we were here and he was here in Israel visiting. And my answer to him was always the same answer. I'd say, Saba, nothing has changed throughout Jewish history. Our own worst enemies were fellow Jews who do bad things to us. The difference is today we have our own country and our own army and we'll overcome it much better than we were able to overcome those internal problems and challenges within our own people over the past thousands of years. And that really is a, uh, a screenshot of the whole talk I'm going to give tonight. And I want to start by making three different points and then I'll go into all of them. Point number one. Even though I am a proud Jewish resettler, because I'm resettling our ancestral homeland by living in the Judean hills, right? We're resettling our homeland. I am extremely bullish about peaceful relations with our Arab neighbors. Extremely bullish. Like we could have peace yesterday. Not an Oslo peace process, not a peace process pushed upon us by the international community or by United States government with, with a signing agreement on the, on the White House lawn. No, none of those. All of those are doomed to failure because they're totally disconnected from reality. But I know that we could have peaceful relations with our Arab neighbors yesterday, today, or tomorrow uh, if and when we, we, the Jewish people here in the land of Israel, are finally acting like the true sovereign we are supposed to act. All right, so I'm extremely bullish that peace is possible, okay? That's number one. Point number two, I'm also extremely positive about the, the unity within the Jewish people today. And again, even though the headlines, especially today, more so than whatever, a few months ago or a few years ago, are, are talking about division within the Jewish people, the most important word in my vocabulary, besides my Judaism and Zionism in Israel, is perspective. I always try to remind people to have some perspective. Stop looking just within our prism of where we are right at this moment and take perspective of where think where we've been, how things have been. 
So for thousands of years, there was no unity within the Jewish people, besides the fact that we're just spread out across the world and being spread out across the world, Jewish communities were not really united much, religious, non-religious, Litvaks, Hasidic, there, there really wasn't much unity within the Jewish people. So now fast forward to today, today in the state of Israel, even with the horrendous headlines, well, most of you I'm sure have visited Israel or are familiar with Israel, Walk the streets of Israel, whether Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Haifa, you have religious, you have secular, you have atheist Jews, ultra-Orthodox. We're all shopping the same stores. We're all getting treated and working together in the hospitals. Uh, there are more ultra-Orthodox serving in the, United, in the IDF today than ever before. Is that enough? Not necessarily, but it's more than ever before. There is more unity on the day-to-day -day life within the Jewish people in the land of Israel itself, even with all the arguments and with all the disagreements, no matter how passionate and harsh they may be, there is more unity today than ever before. And Again, perspective. I'll take many of you might be older than me and have uh, memories of the state of Israel in its infancy, whether in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. Well, I don't have to remind you all about the history of the modern state of Israel just 70, 60 years ago. The Mapai governments in Israel were extremely harsh and discriminatory against anyone in Israel who did not follow the labor socialist Mapai party line. That was the reality of the state of Israel. If you wanted to get a good job, you had to have a red card that you were part of the party, officially part of the party. That was the state of Israel 70 and 60 years ago. Look where we are today. Yes, there are still party divisions and ideological divisions. And sometimes we have right-wing governments and sometimes we have left-wing governments. But look at the day-to-day -day life of Israel. We're living as a, uni as a unified people in the army, in the workforce, in the hospitals, in stores. I, I, I have to, I, I take it upon myself to remind people of this because through the daily headlines of the press, and even the Jewish media, and I call it the establishment media, the Jewish-Israeli establishment media, we are fed division. We are fed fear. We are fed a horrible situation day after day, headline after headline. And it does not represent the actual reality on the ground. Does it represent things that are happening? 100%. But people read those headlines. And again, the major newspapers that you're all reading, whether in actual papers or online, and everyone's made to feel, oh, my God, the situation is horrible. We've never had a worse situation than today with literal uh, headlines uh, saying that today's time is just like second temple times. And all of a sudden, the third temple is going to be destroyed and the modern state of Israel is going to be destroyed because of the division. We are being divided with people, with journalists, with leaders, whether political leaders, whether organizational leaders, sometimes even rabbinic leaders who are playing upon our fears and blowing things out of proportion instead of explaining to us the context of every single issue, no matter how scary that issue might be. And again, I'm talking to you, I'll give you an example. Uh, I live in Judean Samaria. I'm a proud uh, member of the community of Efrat, as uh, as Andrea said in, my, in the introduction. Well, just two days ago, a woman who grew up in Efrat and who today, and until she was murdered in a terror attack, worked as a loved, beloved Ganenet, kindergarten teacher in Efrat. She was just murdered in a terror attack. Terror attacks happen. A number of months ago, uh, my, my friend, Leo D., who I just took a walk with the other day, his wife and two daughters were shot at point-blank range and executed while driving up north on vacation during the Passover holiday. I'm living this. And I know that there is more terror taking place today and more frustration at government and the army for not doing what's necessary to stop it. And that's a whole different topic. But again, I'm not going to tell you folks that the situation is horrible and it's never been worse. 
No. With it all, there are more Jews living in Judea and Samaria today than ever before. With it all, we just opened a new road from Gushetz, the Tzomet of Gushetzion to Kiryat Arba. That's going to bring more Jews to be living in Kiryat Arba. That's making an hour and a half or drive from Kiryat Arba to Jerusalem, cutting it down in half to 45 minutes or, four, or 50 minutes. We are growing and developing, and we have to keep everything in context. So that was point number two. Point number three is the fact that with our whole situation today, like the, the, the title of this talk is about, the majority of the Jewish world and the majority of the organized Jewish world, including the media, 100% ignore or use whatever word you want, because some people say, don't say ignore, but do not pay attention and poo-poo the fact that the largest anti-Semitic movement ever globally is growing beneath our noses and the whole Jewish world is ignoring it. And I'm referring to the Palestinian national movement where world leaders give a pass to Palestinian authority funded programs and textbooks literally teaching Arab Muslim children to kill Jews and want to kill Jews. And where U.S. taxpayer money, Canadian taxpayer money, European taxpayer money, and Israeli taxpayer money is given to the Palestinian Authority, which is the biggest terror-supporting organization that exists today in the globe. In order to do what? In order to support the killing of Jews. I don't know what can be considered the support of anti-Semitism more than that. Yet our Jewish leaders talk about fighting anti-Semitism while in the same time they are silent as the Palestinian Authority literally is funded by all of our taxpayer money, including mine here in Israel, to the biggest anti-Semitic movement that has global support with people all around the world attacking Jews in the name of Palestine, again, total anti-Semitism that the Jewish world gives a pass to because, oh, they have a right because it's politics. No, it's not politics, it's anti-Semitism. All right. So now those were the those were the three points. How does this all come together? What is going on? How is it that the the pro the problems we have with our Arab Muslim neighbors continues with this reality? And again, and I told you there's more unity today than ever before. Okay. It happens because of disunity. Not a disunity on a global level within the Jewish people, but a but a fissure within the Jewish people. I call it a minority of uh, a minority of Jews, a minority of Jewish influencers who spread disunity that then allow our, our Arab Muslim enemies to take advantage of our situation. Because again, I told you, if we would take care of this little issue we have, which I will get into, we could have peace, peaceful life with our Arab Muslim neighbors yesterday. So what is this little fissure that exists within the Jewish people that is in, a, in essence causing the problem within us that then allows our enemies to take advantage of the situation? To answer that question, I'm going to bring you all back to the elections in Israel of 1996. Anyone just giving you the context of what was going on? Uh, Rabin was assassinated. Between Benjamin Netanyahu of the Likud party versus Shimon Peres of the later party who took over for the Yitzhak Rabin who was assassinated. Benjamin Netanyahu at the time had a very big supporter, an Australian uh, Jewish guy. I think he was a Chabad guy. Forgot his name. And he gave a, a lot of funding towards Benjamin Netanyahu's campaign. And the campaign that was launched here in Israel, and I remember it well because I was here in Israel during the election campaign, was Netanyahu is good for the Jews. That was the campaign slogan, right? Again, the context of the time was terror was through the roof in Israel, all right? Horrendous terror at every corner happening all over the country after the Oslo Accords were signed. And it wasn't months after the Oslo Accords were signed, days after the Oslo Accords were signed, all of a sudden Jews were being slaughtered in the streets and different terror attacks all over the country. And hence the, the tagline of Benjamin Netanyahu's campaign was, I'm going to protect Israel 
Oslo Accords were a disaster. We have to stop this. And hence the campaign was Netanyahu was good for the Jews. We all know who won that election. Netanyahu and the Likud beat Shimon Peres and the Labor Party. And then Netanyahu set up a set up a coalition government. I don't know how many people remember this, but there was an interview with Shimon Peres immediately after the elections. I don't know if it was the night of the elections after, or the, it had to be the next morning because the, the results only came the next morning. I guess it was the next day. And he was asked, well, like, what happened? And again, nobody trusts me. Google it on your own. But a famous quote, Shimon Peres at the time said, the Jews won and the Israelis lost. That is a very, very hurtful, but important quote that says everything, right? That one little sentence of our six words, the Jews lost, Israel, the Jews won, the Israelis lost, is the prism upon which everyone has to understand the reality of the state of Israel today, both internally, in terms of the internal issues we're going through, and externally, with regards to our, our external enemies, the Palestinian Authority, Hamas, and the whole world on, on top of us. All right, I'll go even further than that. Shimon Peres's thinking, again, the Jews won, the Israelis lost. That that was his ideology. Right? What what does that mean? Right? And and, and if I have to break it down for some people, I'll, I'll do so. There is a thinking that Shimon Peres was one of these thinkers that the Jewish people left diaspora Judaism. They left European shtetl life behind. They wanted to come to Israel and create a new Jew, a new Jew unshackled by the thousands of years of our traditions and our Jewish national identity. They basically wanted to establish Israel to be a state for Israelis, as France is to French, Britain is to the British, Ital Italy is to Italians, right? They just wanted to be this a normal country like any other country. Just happens to be a safe haven for Jews, but without the Jewish baggage. Hence, there always was a, 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 this um, uh, desire for Israel to be more an Israeli state and not a Jewish state. And a number of years before the 1996 elections was basically the Oslo peace process. And again, let me bring everyone back to the Oslo peace process. And again, I was living here. I don't know anyone else who remembers the reality. The first intifada of rock throwing at Jews was basically on its at its end. There was very, very little uh, violence against Jews. It was it was just rock throwing. And again, I experienced this at the time. We had to drive through Bethlehem in order to get to Ephrat from Jerusalem. Every once in a while, we got stoned. That was it. I was just getting stoned. Palestinian Authority. Oh, sorry, there was no Palestinian Authority. Yasser Arafat and the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization, was a pariah on the world stage because he supported Saddam Hussein in the Iraq invasion of Kuwait. The Arab world hated him. America hated him. He wasn't invited to the United Nations anymore after that, I think, if I'm not mistaken. He was a pariah. And at that time, when it looked like we had clear sailing, there was no, no one thought about a Palestinian state. No one was even talking about a Palestinian people. They were just Arabs at the time. Sometimes they were called Palestinian Arabs, maybe, but th th it wasn't a headline issue. The world was not on top of us uh, like they are today. It was a, a much lower flame. And then out of nowhere, Shimon Peres and his staff illegally had talks with representatives of uh, Yasser Arafat. Again, I say illegally because on the books, on the Israeli law books at the time, it was illegal for any Israeli or the government to have talks with representatives of the Palestine Liberation Organization. Because again, it was the biggest terror organization at the time, killing Jews all over the world. So basically, someone who was a leader of Israel's politics went against Israeli law and pushed forward for this illegal talks for peace with a, with, with a pariah terrorist who even the world didn't respect anymore. And Shimon Peres and his staff basically brought him back onto the world stage. Israel ended up giving guns to a terror organization, giving them our land, giving them sovereignty in our land in Judea and Samaria. 
And now why am I bringing this all together? Because now you understand why Shimon Peres did it. It wasn't about peace with the Arab world. It was about trying to create an Israel for Israelis versus a Israel, a Jewish state of Israel for the Jewish people where everyone else can also live with equality and, and prosperity, etc., under a, a proud, strong Jewish character state for the state of Israel. And then just giving another example, fast forward to the summer of 2005. Again, uh, Andrea mentioned that my, what started me in the whole media business was the production of my movie Home Game about the last youth basketball tournament in the community of Netzer Khazani in the summer of 2005, fighting on the basketball court at the same time as fighting to, to save their homes and not be expelled and their homes destroyed. At the time, Yair Lapid, Right. Uh, it makes me very, very sad to say that he, he's now a former prime minister of Israel. The guy has no position whatsoever of being any type of leader within the Jewish people. Definitely not a prime minister or any position of, of power within the Jewish people, the Jewish state of Israel. At the time, he penned an article. And again, don't trust me. Google it. Search it for yourself. He wrote an article where he basically defended what they were calling at the time the disengagement from the Gaza Strip, which I called the expulsion of the Jews from from the Gaza Strip. And in his article, he basically said, this isn't about making peace. This is about punishing the national religious public and putting you putting you back in your place. Again, 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 don't trust me. Google it, search it for yourselves so you could see it for yourselves. That is the paradigm. That is the, the perspective you should have in understanding current events in Israel. And we see it going on today, because even though we were, we were told that all this craziness today is about a judicial reform, you could talk about judicial reform, you can argue about judicial reform, you can make you can make uh, compromises over judicial reform. But right now, they're, they're not making campaigns about judicial reform. Now they're making campaigns about the ultra-Orthodox and about Ben Gvir and Smutrich, because it's always been about trying to topple this government. Like Ehud Barak said it in 2020, there was no judicial reform in 2020, right? This whole uh, protest movement is something they've been working on for years to topple the government. And it all goes back to the same exact point. What state of Israel do these people want? And the ones causing the trouble and the ones causing the disunity are a tiny, tiny minority with a lot, a lot of power, a lot of political power, within the, the bureaucracy of Israel, a lot of power within the academia. They basically run all the universities. Um, if you're a right-winger, a proud Jew, you you have to close your mouth, whether as a student or a professor, if you want to get good grades or you want to get tenure in universities in Israel, um, uh, in the courts, in the judicial system, the ones with most of the power are this tiny, tiny minority who want Israel to be a state for Israelis not a proud Jewish state, but a majority of Jews in Israel, even many left-wing Jews. Because again, I don't like this right-left thing where we're, we're always divided. We're always divided. But on the street, we shop together, we eat together, we, we do everything together. We have disagreements. But most even left-wing Jews want this to be a Jewish state. But yet we're all being programmed and and, and pushed and brainwashed by this tiny elite who have tremendous power. And of course, they have the power of the media as well, the establishment media, both in Hebrew and in English, pushing their agenda, which if you have critical thinking about what you're reading, read between the lines. The next article you read in Times of Israel, which I hope you don't read, or in the Jerusalem Post, which I hope you don't read because they've both totally gone off the rails. But if you do happen to read it, read what exactly are they writing? Are they really giving you the facts of the situation or are they editorializing already with an anti-proud Jewish character aspect to what they're reporting upon? And I promise you, I wish I, I, wish I didn't have to, 99% of the time, you're going to see the agenda that's written through all of their reporting of the daily news. Maybe it's not 99%, but it's a majority of it. That is what is going on in Israel today. So it's because we have this division, right, which is being created but doesn't really exist within the, ma the masses that our, our enemies are able to take advantage of. And the Jewish world does not pay attention to the growing anti-Semitism in the name of Palestine. Why? Because the Jewish 
establishment media doesn't talk about it in that way. The Jewish establishment media prefers to push upon us division and a hatred to our Jewish identity and our hatred to fellow Jews more than standing up against the growing Jew hatred that's happening in the streets of Israel, of New York, of London, of Los Angeles, of Paris, etc. It's insane. It's literally insane. Okay? So that is the situation. I have plenty more to say, but I know there are plenty of questions and I want to open it up to be able to answer everyone's questions. Um, but I just want to finish my, my talk on the positive. I am a firm believer that we, the majority of people, even with our disagreements, I don't care who's religious, who's secular, what level of religious religiosity they are. I don't care right wing, left wing, someone who doesn't even think about politics. Most of us want to be one people. Most of us want a strong Jewish state of Israel, even with disagreements here and there. And we will overcome the issues that we are dealing with, both internally and externally. It's a painful process, but I believe this is a wake-up process. More and more people are waking up to see what's really going on, that it's been hidden from us until now. More and more people are not necessarily trusting what they're reading about in the media, having more critical thinking, seeing the hypocrisy, and there's so many examples of hypocrisy abounding every single day. We will overcome it. So if anything, I don't want anyone to come out of this depressed. And because there's so much to be depressed about. I want everyone to become out of this inspired. We have never been in a better position as a Jewish people to overcome our challenges, both internally and externally. We are so blessed to have the Jewish state of Israel with all of its issues, because it's a country like every country run by people and all people are, have issues, right? There's no, there's no man-made run organization or country that doesn't have issues because we are all fallible, all people, all leaders of all kinds. But we're the most blessed generation and more Jews today understand and appreciate how blessed we are and what we have. And it's because of that, we're going to overcome this. Thank you. Wow. That was wonderful, Avi, uh, because we all needed a shot in the arm of positivity, for sure. I have a couple of questions related to the Palestinian piece before I call on Anita Bromberg, our president, to bring in questions from the audience. Um, what you describe actually seems to me to be comparable to what Daniel Pipes and his people speak of when he talks about the Victory Project, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, can sure. you? But do you see that as one way to um, place Israel in a much firmer position against terrorism and um, and to uh, really, I guess, take some stronger position against what's going on in the Palestinian Authority? Yes, for sure. Listen, again, the solution is simple. The solution is we, as the Jewish people, properly act as a sovereign. Because okay? we're not. We're not. And, and, and this government was voted in in order to try to act like a sovereign. And even though this government is trying to act like a sovereign, it is not able to succeed. Why? Because the judicial system is stopping it from acting like a sovereign. All right, the judicial system is part of the problem. That's why we need judicial reform. And let me give you some examples. You cannot have a country where there are people illegally taking over land and the government can't do anything about it. And we're talking about the illegal land grabs of Arabs and Bedouins down in the Negev and the Galil. You can't have a police that's supposed to enforce law and order when the justice system allows illegal, dangerous protection rackets within the Arab sector to run rampant. I was just up in the Golan Heights last week and I actually interviewed the uh, the owner of the Airbnb that I was staying. She's actually a survivor of a terror attack herself. Ari Fold, my friend, Hashem Yikom Damo saved her life when he was attacked and then died. He ran after the terrorist who was running after Hila, the falafel stand owner, and he saved her life. She now has, she and her husband moved up north to the Golan Heights. I actually just interviewed her. Anyone can see the interview. They go to my website, pulseofisrael.com. And another video about her Airbnb is coming out next week. So again, be inspired. You can watch that on pulseofisrael.com or subscribe. And I interviewed her and she was explaining to me, Avi, you don't understand what's going on in the Golan Heights. The Arab protection rackets are taking over land and burning down stores and companies of Jews who refuse to pay protection money. 
She told me in the interview, she goes, just last night, our friend's gas business was burnt down to the ground by the local protection racket. And again, even if the police want to do something to stop the protection rackets, guess what? They can't. Because according to the existing laws, either the judges have nothing to hang them on in order to, to indict them, or even if they indict them, they give them some puny, laughable uh, punishment that then allows them to continue terrorizing local businesses. Hey, this has been happening for years. Israel, because of a very, very problematic justice system, and again, I don't know whether it's because and some of the judges are ideologically that way, and therefore they, they, they do that, or they know if they gave harsh punishments, guess what? Their houses are going to be attacked. Their car is going to be burned. They're going to get firebombed if they throw a protection, an Arab protection racket into jail for too long, right? That's the situation. The justice system and the media for years have been covering up all this stuff and allowing this to happen. It, we can't deal with the Palestinian Authority and with Iran properly if we don't act like a true sovereign, even within the recognized borders of Israel. Right? This is just a, a, a tiny example. So hence, the Victory Project is basically about uh, the Jewish state of Israel internalizing that we were the victors and acting like the victors. So I'm translating that to understand the, the Jewish state of Israel finally has to act as a true sovereign implementing the law. I, as someone, I go up to the Temple Mount to pray. The discrimination against Jews that happens on the Temple Mount screams to high heaven. If it would be happening in anywhere else around the world, we'd be, we'd be screaming anti-Semitism. But because it's in Israel, and because the Jewish state of Israel allows it because of whatever reasons, but the whole Arab world sees that. They see we're weak. We're not even standing up for ourselves on our holiest sites. We allow them to enter the Temple Mount from 11 gates, and Jews are only allowed to enter one gate four hours a day. That's discrimination. That's religious discrimination on our holy site. Even in the Muslim world, and I'm sure you've had Dr. Mordechai Kedar before, even the Muslim world, there are disagreements whether the Temple Mount has any holiness whatsoever to the Muslim world, right? right. Because Al-Aqsa, to many Muslim scholars, it's in Saudi Arabia. So it's not even Al-Aqsa. Right. But yet, the weakness of, of the Jewish spirit in our leadership, in our political echelon, in our justice system, in our Jewish communal leaders around the, how many Jewish communal leaders today will stand up and say, you know what? The Muslims disagree about Al-Aqsa being in Jerusalem. How many will do that? None. Virtually none. Okay, virtually none. They're not able to stand up for ourselves. So the day that we stand up for ourselves and understand, not just that we were victorious, but it's, this is our land. We are a blessing to anyone who lives within us. Again, I'm going to bring you all back to, to pre-1948 to understand the situation. Pre-1948, Jews in Petah Tikva were being attacked by Arabs, right? Jews of, 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 uh, of Haifa were being attacked by their Arabs in Haifa. Jews of Tel Aviv were being attacked by the Arabs in Jaffa, right? Guess what? Any Arabs who today live in Jaffa, Akko, or, uh, or, or, or um, whatever other areas, and they're now Israeli citizens, they have great lives. They're Israeli citizens. They could officially, according to Israeli law, become prime minister of Israel. They could be, they could be Supreme Court justices. They can be heads of Israeli hospitals. They can have their own law firms. Is there discrimination here or there? Of course, we're a society like any other. So there's some discrimination, but, but on the whole, they have freedom and equality of the best lives. That's why I'm a proponent. The more Jews we have living in Judea and Samaria, the better the lives are going to be of those Arabs who choose to live peacefully with us. We're the solution. Jews living in Judea and Samaria are the solution for a peaceful future. We're not the obstacle. The head that we have to appease a Muslim mindset that teaches children with their mother's milk, with mother's education to kill Jews, that's the obstacle to peace. And we have very few Jewish organizations willing to say that straight fact. We are. Anita, do you have a question ready? I do. Thank you. Um, quite a few of the questions are remarking on your upbeat, optimistic view, which I think we often lose. I certainly worry when I open the media myself. So 
to that question, uh, several of, uh, to that point, several of the questions ask, um, how can we trust the Muslim leadership? Where's that optimism coming from when, when you've got uh, the PLO charter uh, calling for our destruction, where you have uh, Islamic uh, ideology uh, behind the terrorist groups that treats Jews as at best second-class citizens. So help us find that optimism that you seem to have. Okay, so I'm a, I call myself a realistic optimist, okay? I have no trust in Arab Muslim leaders. I'm not, I'm not looking, I have no trust in my own leaders. <laughs> I, have, I have trust only in God above. That's it, all right? But I also, I'm, I'm a realist. I look, I, I look at reality. The real, reality on the ground is we need more Jewish leaders and more of Israeli politicians to learn from Dr. Mordechai Kedar. All right, because Dr. Mordechai Kedar has a deep understanding of the Middle East and Islam. And I'm just going to quote Dr. Kedar here, where he basically says, "Peace in the Middle East is like the is is like the sand of the sand dunes. It depends which way the the wind is blowing. Right? You can never trust uh, Arab Muslim leader, Arab Muslim world. And I, I imagine most people here, once in their lives, have watched the movie Exodus." because I love to use the example of Exodus. As a child, I already internalized this lesson. And in my own life, knowing reality on the ground and plenty of stories that I'm familiar with further uh, embeds this lesson. But I'm going to bring it back to Exodus, everyone, all right? Go back to those nostalgic days when Hollywood actually was proud of the Jewish people in the state of Israel, right? Uh, we had Ari ben Canaan, who was his best friend. His best friend in the movie Exodus was... The, the Muslim sheik of the neighboring Arab town to his uh, youth village in the Galil, right? Ari ben Canaan is injured. Uh, who takes care of him to hide him so that the, the British don't find him? His best friend, the Arab Muslim sheik, right? Taken into his, into his home. Ari ben Canaan gets better, goes back, to the Arab, goes back to the Jewish village. And then basically uh, the sheik goes to Ari ben Canaan. He goes, Ari, the Arabs are going to attack you, All right? Leave. Get out of here. You're, you're going to be decimated. You're going to be destroyed. Everyone's going to be killed. Get out of here. And Ari ben Canaan says to his friend, what are you talking about? Let's fight together. I'll, 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 we're we're going to come to your Arab village. We'll, we'll fight together against, against the bad guys. And the Arab sheik goes, no, Ari, you, you, you don't understand. You don't understand. I can't. Bye, Ari. Okay? That's it. Right? Ari believed. And this is the state of the Israel mindset, meaning the, the Israel versus Jewish state mindset today. Too many Jews and our leaders believe, oh my God, if we only have peace, if we only appease them, if we only do this, if we only do that, we'll be able to have peace in the Middle East and be able to eat hummus in Damascus, right? No, 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 no. Because what was the next scene? The next scene is Ari ben Canaan and his Haganah soldiers going into the Arab village. The Arab village was empty, empty. What they found? They found his friend, the Arab Muslim sheik, hanged by his own fellow villagers. He was their leader by his own fellow villagers with a, uh, uh, no, Magin David, a Jewish, a Jewish star, bloodied in and on his, on his chest, right? He was murdered by his own people because they knew he had a relationship with Ari ben Canaan. That is the Arab Muslim culture. You can have a relationship with individual Arab Muslims and have friendships and work together. But here is a tribal culture. This is the Middle East. I like to tell people this isn't Kansas. It's a tribal culture. If the street hates you, then even the ones who are friendly to you, they're going to hurt you and even kill you. And I'll just add another example to that. Again, going back in history, not so far, but it is history. The, the massacre of the Jews of Hebron in 1929. There's a very, very important book written by a survivor. And I read it and I forgot the name of the book. I didn't think I'd be talking about it right now, but if anyone's interested, you can contact me. I'll send it to you. And he basically goes through some of the stories of how the local Arab Muslims who worked in their stores, they went to, they went to weddings together, right? All of a sudden, they were the ones who murdered the Jews when the Arab streets attacked them and massacred them. Meaning, here you're talking about Good Jews thinking I have good relationship with my Arab Muslim neighbors because on the day-to-day -day for years, they did have good, peaceful relationships. 
But all of a sudden, when the street, when the street decided, when the culture around the Arab street decided, now it's time to attack the Jews, that's the culture. It's a tribal culture. They all went in on it. And very, very few individuals are able to stand up to that culture. So that's the mindset. So in order to have peace or with the Arab world, I'm not looking for a, for I don't I'm not looking for a piece of paper to sign with an Arab Muslim leader. No, no, no. Israel must be a strong state. We must have a strong army. We must punish anyone. We have to take a Rudy Giuliani approach to the streets of New York for the state of Israel. Any small infraction, we have to punish so that they know they can't get away with anything, nothing small or large. And then what does the Arab Muslim world have that we don't have as enough that we should because we are an original tribe from the Middle East? The aspect of respect. The Arab world understands respect. If you stand up for yourself, they will stand down. And today, all these years since Israel's establishment, they see weakness because we're always appeasing them. They see we're weak. They see the army doesn't do what's supposed to be done to protect ourselves. They see they can get away with things. Hence, we can't have peace. That's why I'm saying the solution is we understand how blessed we are. We understand this is our homeland. We finally have leadership, political, uh, media, uh, uh, army that's willing to take the Rudy Giuliani approach of harsh uh, against small infractions so that obviously there won't be any big infractions and we'll be able to live peacefully with those Arab Muslims who want to live peacefully with us. And anyone who who actually continues with their terror ways, well, they get killed, they're in jail, or they get expelled. Right? That's how a proud Jewish state of Israel should be acting and then being example to the world. The world's looking for us for leadership. Right now, we're not not giving a role for the world. The, too many of Israel's uh, leaders who believe in uh, Israel over a Jewish state, right, right, a regular state of Israel versus a Jewish state of Israel, they think, oh, my God, we have to be a progressive state. We have to do all this progressive, really regressive uh, uh, policies for the country, and then the world will respect us and love us and whatever, and that's how we're helping the world. No, 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 no. The whole world's going insane. Terror and violence is growing all over. The world is looking to the Jewish people to stand up strongly and proudly for our identity, for our rights, for our lives, for our human rights to exist and live. And then we'll be able to enlighten to the nations, for all the nations of the world to also stand up strong insanity and growing evil that they're experiencing. So that's my realistic, optimistic uh, answer to that. I I hope it was a good explanation. It was a very good one. Should I ask another question, Andrea? We have a lot of questions. I just want to ask one question that relates back to this Palestinian intransigence. I understand from recent reading that now the left, which is running this campaign against the government, really not just about judicial reform, we know that, is trying to bring in Palestinian rights as an issue. And I want to know if that's what that looks like and are the Palestinian Arabs and the Israeli Arabs supporting that. I haven't seen any reports that the Arabs have been standing with the uh, anti-reform movement, but it looks like that could happen. Is that happening in your mind? Is that what's next? Listen, the, the insanity of the situation, which you touched upon right now, Andrea, is that the Arabs don't have to do anything. Right. That this tiny minority of Jews in Israel are doing everything for them. It, it, it's even worse than what you're referring to, Andrea, because we know that part of the plan of this uh, tiny elite is to, in the end, get rid of the right of return as a, as, as a law in Israel. What's the right of return? The right of return is that only Jews, because this is the Jewish state of Israel, have a right to return and get citizenship in Israel. They the, this, this tiny elite that wants to weaken the Jewish character of the state of Israel wants to get rid of that in the justice system. They want the high court in the end to get rid of it because that's not equal. That's not equality. The second... The second, they want equality written in in Israel's basic laws, because the second equality is written there, there can be no preferential treatment whatsoever for a Jew in the Jewish state of Israel. Hence, any law that does give preferential treatment to a Jew, like the right of return, would be struck down as being unconstitutional. That is the ultimate goal of this tiny elite in the Jewish world and in the state of Israel. That's much more than Palestinian rights. That's to destroy Israel by just allowing anyone to immigrate here, including all of the Arabs who want to go back and live in the homes that they ran away from back in 1947 because the Arab leaders told them to run and that they lost their homes because they lost the war. 
that is the ultimate goal, the ultimate destruction of the Jewish state of Israel. And the Arabs don't have to do a thing because this tiny elite within the Jewish people and, and, and the, this elite here in the state of Israel are pushing forward to make that happen. The Arabs can sit back and just watch. But again, everyone, the optimism, it's not going to happen. It's, they're not going to succeed. And it's going to get scary and it's going to get worse than today. I, I, I hope not. But be prepared for the situation to get worse today. It's not going to happen. I think why it's feeling worse is that we see here in the diaspora, and I'm pretty sure people here from all the different parts of the world are seeing diaspora Jews on the left are standing against the Israeli reform. And it looks like they're standing against Israel. When you see them on the street outside of the Israeli consulate in downtown Toronto, it feels like the Jews are standing against Israel. I just actually... Um wrote a comment. I'm actually in the middle of an article, but uh, I wrote a comment to someone who made a post about, I'm not even going to mention the name, but three very prominent distinguished Anglo Jews here who live in Israel who are going to be speaking on a horrendous webinar that's being sp sponsored by Times of Israel, also showing that it's not a it's it's, it's not journalism. It's a agenda driven against the Jewish state of Israel piece of uh, news, but it's not even news. And um, I wrote that these three prominent Anglo Jews here in Israel who are going to be running that webinar, they are creating more damage to Israel and yeah. to the connection between diaspora Jewry and Israel than the BDS movement. The BDS movement, in a sense, was uh, was shunned by most of the Jewish world, right? Most, At least the organized Jewish world did shun the BDS movement, uh, make very, very little impact on Israel or Israeli economy, etc. What these three prominent distinguished Anglo Jews are doing on this webinar with the Times of Israel is growing the division between diaspora Jewry and Israel to, in a sense, allow them to feel justified and vindicated in pulling back support for the Jewish state of Israel, stopping to invest in Israel, stopping to, to buy Israeli products, stopping to visit Israel, stop, stopping to, to support Israel. They are sowing the seeds to do much more damage to the Jewish people in the state of Israel than the BDS campaign could have ever imagined to, to accomplish. And um, that's very, very sad. And that's that, that's part of the uh, that's part of the 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 positive process that I see ultimately what's going on. At the end of the day, every single Jew is gonna have to wake up and say, wait a second, who am I? Why am I a Jew? What's the state of Israel about? What's the state of Israel for? And at the end, you're going to have a dividing line. Those who totally understand, oh my God, no, the Jewish state of Israel is supposed to be a Jewish state of Israel. That's our purpose as people. That's why we're supposed to live here. The Jews did not dream for 2,000 years to live in a democracy in the Middle East. Okay, Democracy is just a form of government, right? The worst of the best form of government of governance that exists. It's just a form of governance. We did not pray or every day for Lashana right? That's what we say all the time in our prayers. We sing it on Pesach, on Passover. We dreamt of having a Jewish state. That's our fulfilling our purpose. At the end of the day, every Jew's gonna have to ask themselves when, when looking through all these news, wait a second, what am I about? Why am I Jewish? Regardless of religious level. But and, and why is Israel important to me? And why do we need an Israel? Those who believe that, oh my God, Israel is supposed to be like any other country. Well, at the end of the day, they're not going to have anything to give over to their kids why to support Israel. Because if they don't like the, the political direction of Israel or the demographic direction of Israel, well, they're going to pull back support. And it's already happening to kids who go to college campuses. I'm mean, yeah. sure you're more familiar than, than I am. Plenty of good Jews, even Jews who grow up, kids going to good Jewish day schools and Jewish day camps and even coming to Israel for the year. They then go to colleges, universities, and they're totally turned against Israel. And that's without this horrendous, dangerous campaign that is taking it to a next level. So anyone who takes that stance of, no, Israel has to be for Israelis, like Italy is to Italians, and it's supposed to just be a democracy, their kids are going to have no connect with the Jewish state of Israel, and they're going to leave the Jewish people. So the only ones who are going to remain, and in a sense, strengthen the Jewish state of Israel, are those who understand, no, 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 I'm Jewish because God chose me to be a Jew, and it's not easy. He didn't chose me because I'm better. 
he chose me because I have a purpose. He chose Abraham, Abraham for a purpose. And our purpose is to be God's representatives on this world in order that more of humanity learn about God and accept God and see that we're supposed to make the world a better place connected to God, not disconnected from God. That's our purpose, not because we're better, but we're chosen for a responsibility. And that's the purpose of the Jewish state of Israel. We are the Jewish people in here. My call out to all of you, wherever you're living in the world, start making your Aliyah plans. I'm serious, folks. Start making your Aliyah plans. Not because things are bad by you or things are going to get worse by you, which they will. And I hope to God I'm wrong. But no, there's only one reason to come make Aliyah to Israel. Because this is home. This is where we're supposed to be. This is our homeland. We're called Jews because we're from Judea. Whether you live in Judea or you live in Haifa or you live in Golan, you live in the Negev, doesn't make a difference. This is where we belong, where we fulfill our purpose as a people, fulfilling why we were chosen. We could be the best Jews. We could be anywhere in the world, again, regardless of religious level. But where we fulfill our purpose as a unit and God chose us to be a unit, that's here. So regardless of how bad things look, again, whether internal issues or external issues, we're going to come out of this fine. It's a painful process, but most of the Jews in Israel, Ashkenazi, Sephardi, religious, secular, ultra-Orthodox, there is more unity here on the ground than ever before and then in other places in Israel. We're going to overcome this division that's being pushed on us by a tiny elite that's forcing this division upon us, but it really is, does not manifest itself on the ground. I need it. Go ahead. Uh, from your mouth to God's ears. Um... I'm going to take us back a bit to some of the questions, although um, I'm, I'm fascinated with what, how to make what you just said a reality. So if you wanted to comment on that. But um, one of the questions was about the players in the field. So you talk about the Arab uh, street. Who's pushing the Arab street? Is And what role in particular might Iran be having in all this? And that obviously leads to the question of how imminent is war um, and what what impact will that have in all that we're discussing? Wow, okay. How, who is pushing the Arab street? There are so many. There are so many directions pushing the Arab street. You have Iran. You have Turkey. You have the European Union. Right. The European Union uh, is the biggest funder to the billions of dollars to the illegal land grab of uh, of Jewish land in Area C in Judea and Samaria. Billions of dollars. And this is not Avi Abel talking. Edwin Black did a whole investigative journalistic piece on this. So just Google Edwin Black and, and uh, Area C in Judea and Samaria um, and, and, and many other actors. There are many, State Department, U.S. State Department, right? Again, all funneling, funding to the Palestinian Authority, uh, UNRWA, right? United Nations. We have so many actors uh, causing the hatred within the, Jew within the Arab street. And again, my message is so clear. And again, I'm a realist, so this will never happen. But the, the way we end terror tomorrow is the United States, Canada, European Union, European countries, Israel, stop giving money to UNRWA and to the Palestinian Authority. Terror would end like that. They got, they got nothing. They're living, it's the largest anti-Semitic Nazi organization in the world supported by all of us. I, 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 can't, I can't say it enough, even using that language to really have people internalize. Your governments are support, supporting, and again, my government, because Israel too, supporting today's modern Nazi movement. Like, what, what? you want it to stop? Stop giving money. Stop giving money. That should be the campaign. And that's what I'm working on. And again, Andrea and Anita know I'll be in, be in touch with them as a follow-up to the conference we run. That is going to be part of the campaign we're going to be uh, working on to push this message out there. And again, I'm a realist. Do I believe that all of a sudden the U.S. State Department is going to stop giving money to the Palestinian Authority? No. But I want Jews to wake up. I want Jews to understand the, 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 the evil of the situation that even our own Jewish leaders and journalists are not even talking about. I'm a believer in the people. I'm a believer in Am Yisrael. Right? I believe in God. I believe in the power of Am Yisrael. He didn't choose anyone to be a leader of an organization or to be a rabbi. They happen to be there. They might be worthy. They may not be worthy. The power of the Jewish people is us as a people. And I know when the Jewish people wake up to reality 
And we start calling out and we start calling. And I, again, everyone here, start messaging your leaders in your communities, your rabbis, your leaders. Why aren't you calling out to stop funding the Palestinian Authority or the UNRWA? Like they're teaching children, textbooks, textbooks teach children to kill Jews. Uh, television programs teach kids to kill Jews. Why are you silent about our money being given to the Palestinian Authority and to UNRWA? Why? The more, be all of you, you're all on this call, you're all watching this video, whether live or recording, every day bombard your rabbis, your community leaders, your organizational leaders with that subject line. Why are you not vocal against the funding to the evil Palestinian Authority and UNRWA? They represent modern Nazism. How, how, how can you talk about wanting to fight anti-Semitism, but silent about our own money and our own organizations supporting the funding of today's modern Nazi movement? Every day, write articles about this. Every day, write emails to your organizational leaders, your rabbis, your, your community leaders. But that's what I want to do. I want to wake up the people. God is waiting for us to wake up. Again, I'm a believer. I don't know what level of, of belief everyone is. I'm a believer, right? I'm a, I'm a religious guy. God runs the world. We wake up in the morning because God allowed us to breathe, not because of science, right? We, we're, we're, if we wake up tomorrow, it's because of God. Right. I think I can speak on behalf of uh, many of us who are here, even if we're not Bible-believing, in that sense, I think we are believers in truth and believing in the Jews and Judaism, or we wouldn't be listening or we wouldn't be here today. And I want to just say that for um, reinforcing what CAF is about. We have been running a campaign to get our government to stop funding UNRWA. Canada is the 10th largest funder. The Americans fund billions to UNRWA and the PA, and with the current government even increased their funding. Our current government also increased it. The previous conservative government had cut the funding. Um, we also partner with the Bedin Center for Near East Policy Research, some of you are familiar with, to raise money so that they can make the documentaries they do, which will shock you completely, showing children with being trained to kill Jews with big guns, little kids with big guns, and messages that Israel doesn't exist and they have to uh, kill a Jew to go to heaven. We need to bring that to more people's attention. And I'm saying this now to encourage all of you to work with us to make that happen, to support what Avi's saying. To I would like to encourage you to all to check out Avi's website, check out our website. There's a lot of material there. And, and we want to encourage activism. We want everybody here to be doing something, which is what Avi is saying as well. It's not enough for us to be silent and be informed. We have to be taking the risk right? The risk of people not liking us or not agreeing with us, what's the worst they can do? You're living in Canada or in the US or somewhere in Europe or Australia. So if your friends won't like you or your dinner parties will be a mess because people disagree, right? That's the only risk we take. The people in Israel put their lives at risk. We need to do more. So I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, Avi. And uh, maybe Anita has some closing remarks before we sign off. Can I add one, one last comment before the closing remarks? But okay. I, I just want to give people some positive ammunition in, in also taking this for people who might disagree, but catching them off guard. Again, we're, we're, we're living in a virtue signaling world where people say, oh, I care about human rights. Oh, I have to support the Palestinians. Oh, the poor, oppressed Palestinians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All you have to say to them is, guys, Arab Muslims in Israel have more rights than they have under the Palestinian Authority in Judea and Samaria. They're being oppressed in, by, by Hamas in Gaza. If you really care about their human rights, then you should support withholding the funding because they're using that money to oppress them. There haven't been elections in the Palestinian Authority in 17 years. You talk about human rights and democracy and supporting them. What, you're silent about the fact that they're left with this with, with horrendous, corrupt government that hasn't invested in, in hospitals and the economy. But if you really don't, Israel does more for our, for our Arab Muslims than, than the Palestinian Authority and Hamas. So if you really care about them and, and human rights, you must support withholding all this funding because it's just continuing the conflict. It's not helping bring any peace. And it's not helping the Arabs who live in Judea and Samaria and Gaza. You want to help them? Support Israel. We're the solution. They're the problem. Uh Thank you. I, I I think that you've echoed um, the concerns from all our listeners, certainly what uh, we try to do at CAF to raise awareness. A lot of the uh, listeners have uh, 
um, suggested a couple of uh, very interesting articles. We'll share it. The recording will be available. Um, I hope you'll come back because I think we answered about four or five of about uh, 20 to 30 questions. There's obviously a real hunger for the kind of straightforward information and insight that you're providing. So um, thank you. And um, and uh, we will uh, share with you some of the questions and, and some of the suggestions. And by the way, how informed our listeners are. One of the listeners said that the person's name that you were looking for was Joseph Gutnick. As, uh, Thank you. Uh, yes, the Australian that's how informed our listeners are. Another one said, uh, pointed out that their uh, the grandparents of their brother-in-law was actually part of the massacre. May they rest in peace in um, in uh, Gush Etzion. Um, so we have very informed, interested uh, attendees that are hungering for the kind of honest answers that you gave here that are all too often buried. So again, I thank you. And I want to close by also thanking all of our sponsors on the screen. You'll see now are the 15 organizations that have helped us put this together. And I appreciate everyone's support. So thank you. Stay well. Stay strong. Thanks, Avi. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And anyone who wants to follow up with questions, they can share my email with everyone. And, uh, I'll, yes. and uh, I'll, I'll yeah, share my email with anyone who wants to follow up with, with specific questions. I'll be happy to respond as soon as I can. And obviously anyone could follow me. My daily program is thepulseofisrael.com. And uh, our news-oriented website is israelandwire.com for the politically incorrect truth that unfortunately the establishment Jewish media is not telling you to give you the perspective of what's really going on here in Israel. Thank you.